Well, it's great to be here with you all, and uh, I'd like to thank Father Dosh uh, for the opportunity to come out here and preach. Hope you guys uh, appreciate this guy. He was, uh, since I was vocation director, he was one of our finest men we had in the seminary. Uh, an incredible leader amongst our brothers, and uh, just a great, great man who loves the Lord. Uh, you guys are really blessed to have him here at Trinity. However, he is terrible at scheduling, and uh, that's why I was supposed to come out a month ago, uh, and then it didn't work out, and so I'm here today. And I was actually really surprised when I looked at the readings. It's, I mean, you can't, I'm here to preach on vocations. I'm the vocation director, I'm here to preach on vocations. And you can't, I don't know if you can have a better gospel. It's the call of the first apostles. It's when the first apostles said yes to their vocation. They heard Jesus speak and said yes. So God works in mysterious ways that I get this gospel. And on top of it, it's St. Andrew's feast day. I love St. Andrew. But he's probably one of the most unrecognized and most underappreciated of all the apostles. In the first three gospels, his name is not mentioned except in the list of the 12 apostles. But he is of the utmost importance, you guys. Mainly because he is the first apostle. He is the first one called He and John were the first to believe. And I got to believe that Andrew was older than John. And so Andrew probably introduced John to Jesus. Without Andrew, there's no Peter. And yet Andrew is not even recognized for that in the scripture. I got to be honest. If I introduced my brother to Jesus, and then like Jesus and my brother went off and they're like, and Jesus is like, hey, how are you doing? Like, you know, I'm going to change your name and I'll make you Pope. I'd be like, hey, what the heck? What about me? Like, I introduced you to. But Andrew doesn't do that. He just kind of remains back and relatively hidden in the scriptures. And on top of not being made Pope, he wasn't even in the inner circle. Whenever Jesus went and did like the crazy stuff, he didn't get to go. It was Andrew, or it was Peter, James, and John. Those are the three. Again, you know, I, I, I would look at myself. I'm like, come on, Jesus. What the heck? I mean, I introduced you to Peter. I introduced you to John. And and I don't even know what the heck James is doing here. Why am I not in the inner circle? But he doesn't. In addition, in addition to leading Peter to Jesus, he appears two other times in John's gospel. One is the feeding of the 5,000. And he brings this little boy and he's like, Jesus, this boy has two Two fish and five loaves, but what what good is that? And in John 12, it says that Andrew brought some Greeks to meet Jesus. Andrew's greatest quality, what he is remembered in the scriptures for, is bringing people to Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if we were remembered for that? Because you're all going to, you know, you might be remembered for something. Maybe. I mean, think about it. It's kind of dire. I mean, in 100 years, nobody's going to care that you were alive. You ever think about that? Nobody's really going to care in a hundred years. You got one life to live. How do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as a saint? Do you want to be remembered as a wealthy, famous business person? I don't know. How do you want to be remembered? Andrew is the model disciple for us to imitate. His whole life was about bringing people to Jesus. But he... Peter, James, and John were not always holy. 
They were fishermen. When I think of these four guys that we hear about in the gospel today, I think of like truck driving, construction working, beer drinking, football watching guys. In fact, Andrew's name in Greek comes from the word andros, which means manly. These were some like rough and tough dudes. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if we, we think about that enough. We don't think about like the apostles and their lives prior to when they were called. Like I always tell people, I haven't always been a priest. Like I was an idiot for most of my life. I still kind of have an idiot. I'm just a converted idiot. I love Jesus now. The first thing that comes to mind when I hear this gospel is this. What kind of man do you think Jesus Christ must have been? What kind of man goes up to people, hardworking, beer drinking, truck driving guys, and says, hey, fellas, everything you want in life, all your desires, all your hopes for joy, you'll find them if you follow me. Who does that? I mean, imagine if I got up here and I was like, okay, you guys, here's the deal. Like, come follow me. You know, I'm going I'm to I'm make you great. You know, everybody would be like, what are you talking about? But there must have been something about Christ when he came and he said, come follow me. And then what's even more crazy is that these rough, tough guys are like, yeah, I think you're right. And they left everything and followed him. The point is simply this, you guys. The image that we have of Jesus is simply wrong. Somehow we've domesticated him, made him boring, made him effeminate. Like, the best image we got is a, a, a hippie with long hair prancing around Palestine in his sandals. I mean, does that ever go through your head? Like, how do you image Jesus? The one I always say is, I, it's, I call it, get in here, Jesus. Like, he's just this guy, you know, like, and you come before him at the end of your life, and he's like, okay, come on, let's have a hug. Come on. You know, I know you were a meth addict. Get in here. Come on. Let's... You know, I mean, like, like, we can do anything, and the Lord's just going to, you know, passively say, oh, that's okay, you. <laughs> come on. Let's have a hug. Quit messing around. That is not the image of Jesus in the scriptures, you guys. The image of Jesus in the scriptures is a man who is often angry. In fact, that is the most represented emotion of Jesus in the Gospels. Anger. Not that he's mad all the time, he just, he hates sin. Because it ruins us, it destroys us, it breaks us down. If you read the Gospels, I challenge you to read them, and you walk away from that and you can say, yeah, he's, he's kind of effeminate and boring. You won't. You won't. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they couldn't get enough of him. Miraculous catches of fish. Walking on water. What would that have been like? I always think of Peter. You know, Peter's sitting there and like Jesus walking on water, and Peter's like, hey. <laughs> I have a weird imagination. He's like, hey, if that's you, tell me to walk on the water. And Jesus says, come. And he had to be like, crap. 
I didn't think, I didn't mean it. You know, like, time out. But then Peter gets out and he walks on water. Can you imagine that? We don't think about, we don't pray about these stories enough. My favorite story in the Gospels is the man born blind in John's Gospel. It says that the man's born blind, right? And then there's like a whole chapter of John's Gospel dedicated to this guy who was born blind and the Pharisees and how mad they are. And I'm like, why is that? Why in every other place, you know, like Jesus, you know, a blind guy's like, hey, I'm blind. Jesus is like, hey, you see, and he sees, you know? And that's it. And then move on. But in John's Gospel, it's a whole chapter. I did some research into it. You know why it's a whole chapter? Because the word for born blind is a Greek word that in fact could be translated born without eyes. Now, it's a whole different miracle if you got a blind guy who has eyeballs but he can't see and Jesus restores sight. It's a whole different miracle if you have a man that has no eyeballs and all of a sudden he can see you know what it said and it's that weird 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 way he cures he spits on the ground makes mud clay right and he and he smears it on the man's face some scholars say that in fact what he was doing is he was making little round clay balls that he jammed into the eye sockets of this man and then he said go and wash and when he washed he came back and he's like, wow, I have eyeballs. Like, not only can I see, I have eyes. Well, you can. You need eyes to see. But... And that's why the Pharisees are like, freak out on Jesus. Because this isn't a, a, a miracle of restoration. This is a miracle of creation. Who is the only one that can create? Yeah, okay, thanks. There's a little participation from the audience. Well done. I, always used, I hated that when I taught in high school, and I'd be like, I'd, you know, I'd answer, I'd ask a question, and they're like, Jesus, God. You know, like, that was always the answer, but it worked this time, so well done. <clears throat> Only God can create. I mean, he's driving out demons, raising the dead to life. You guys, you've got to think at the end of the day, the apostles would be sitting around looking at each other in sheer amazement and be like, what in the heck is he going to do tomorrow? All the while he's doing all this, they want to kill him. And he seemingly doesn't care. That does not sound like an effeminate hippie prancing around Palestine. This sounds, you guys, like one of the most masculine men to ever live. He is not boring. He is wildly exciting. I know him. I've met him. And when you encounter him, when you really encounter him, everything changes. Everything changes. One of my uh, past seminarians, he actually discerned out, which means he was a seminarian, decided to be a priest, and then the Lord told him very clearly he was called to marriage. And he said, I was talking to him the other night, and he said, Father, I can't explain to you how grateful I am that I chose to follow Christ. He said, I look at all the outcomes. I mean, this guy was not a good guy. I taught him in high school. And he had a huge conversion. He said, when I look at all the outcomes that could have come from my life, the fact that I am here today working at the University of Mary 
And I'm going to get married in, in like six short months to a beautiful Catholic woman. He's like, it's a miracle of grace. He said, I wish I could just tell everybody, just follow him. Just follow him. I mean, you think Peter, James, John, Andrew, they never could have imagined in their wildest dreams what Jesus was going to do with their yes. Never. Never would they have guessed. So I ask you guys to do two things. The first thing is this. Give him 10 minutes of prayer each day. 10 minutes. When you think about the time you all waste on all the stuff you waste time on, there's a lot. There's a lot of distractions in our world. Give him 10 minutes each day to get to know him. And in those 10 minutes, I simply invite you to say this. Jesus, what do you want me to do with my life? That's it. Jesus, what do you want me to do with my life? The Lord wants to lead you just as he led Andrew, Peter, James, John. But will you let him? Because Andrew and Peter could have stayed in their boats, you guys. They could have said, yeah, just move on. We're not interested. But they didn't. They could have stayed in their comfortable lives, but they didn't. And if they would have, think of how many people would have never heard the gospel. Think of how many lives never would have changed. We wouldn't have been inspired by his feast day that we celebrate today. But thank God they didn't. They said yes, and the Lord led them on one heck of a journey. You guys, I'll end with this. When I was ordained a priest... I laid prostrate down on the marble floor, flat on my face. In that moment, I said a prayer. I said, Jesus, don't ever stop amazing me. Because he has done so many things in my life. Don't ever stop amazing me. And I heard very clearly, he said to me, then never stop coming to me. You don't stop praying, and I won't stop amazing you. So I'm begging you guys 10 minutes. And if you're faithful to that, you'll soon desire him more than anything else on this earth.